But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Moving over to Romans 15, uh, 14 through 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus then. I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation." But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Thank you, Deb, for reading. Ambition is a, a powerful force. It's always impressive to me to when an athlete has some injury that could be like career-ending, and they do the work and they have a desire to get back at the level to which they once were at, and they put in all sorts of time and training that no one sees because they desire something so much. Probably more impressive to me than following athletes I don't know is the ambition and the desire I see by so many in our church family. Impressive to me is the strong desire that a parent or a grandparent might have in hanging in there and loving their kids unconditionally, even when when it gets tough. What's impressive to me is the strong desire of a friend or a caregiver who will pour out their life making sacrifices, even when it's difficult, even when others would, would give up. Impressive to me is a spouse who stays faithful in a tough marriage, when someone has a strong desire as a child to honor their parent, and even as the, the parent ages, the, the child cares well and, and pays attention to the needs of their parent, or, or a, a couple who, because they have such a strong desire to show Christ's love to someone, they, they care for uh, kids in the foster care system. I mean, all these things are impressive to me because they show ambition, They show a strong desire. As a matter of fact, this is a definition of ambition that I came across. Ambition is a strong desire to do or achieve something. 
typically requiring determination and hard work, a strong desire to do or to achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. So someone wants something deeply, and so they make big decisions, but maybe more important than big decisions, they make hundreds of small decisions in pursuit of that. They're determined. They have a strong desire to do or to achieve something. And this subject of ambition has been really on my mind recently. I don't know, it, it seems like sometimes the Lord directs your path toward things in your Bible reading and kind of lays those on your heart. And I feel like this is one of those things that has, has actually been on my heart. And uh, in Bible reading and, and study and prayer, I came across a few passages of Scripture that even Deborah read a moment ago that talk about this subject of ambition. But I don't know, the more I prayed about it the last couple of weeks, the more I sensed that God had a word not just for me, which uh, I think it is for me as well, but that the Lord might be leading me with those verses and these things that he's impressing my heart on, on my heart right now to share with you. And so uh, trusting that God's word won't return void, I, I want us to dig into those two passages that Paul, that Paul gives us that we read earlier. Because Paul isn't perfect, he's not sinless, but there are a couple times here where he just opens up his heart and says, this is what makes me tick. This is what I'm all about. And I want to hear Paul's words, and I want those words to press on our heart so that we might be able to look at our own lives. And if Paul's an example, not a perfect one, but if if Paul's an example, then we can in some ways evaluate where our heart is, and maybe this will become a catalyst for our own ambition. If we look at Philippians 3 again, Uh, the verses that we didn't read are basically a summary of Paul's spiritual resume. So the first few verses in Philippians 3, Paul's laying out uh, his, his skills, his achievements, his accomplishments, his background. And if you were a religious person in that time, hearing Paul talk about these things, you would not, you couldn't help but be impressed with how successful Paul had been in, in his religion, in his pursuit. But then Paul takes a sharp turn in verse 7 of Philippians 3. And we heard a moment ago, I, I want to draw our attention again to it. Paul says, but whatever gain, so whatever, whatever I thought was like, like really noteworthy and like whatever I thought were my accomplishments, actually now I count them as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, Paul says, I can count everything as lost because, and here we're going to get an idea of the ambition that Paul has. This is what he wants. I count everything else as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Not hypothetically, I have. I have suffered the loss of all things, but I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him and having a righteousness of uh, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And here's another layer of that ambition. He says, I have this desire that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Here's the ambition, and it's really simple. What mattered to Paul what his ambition was, was to know Jesus. 
As I, as I look at the passages that are before us this morning, this is actually not that complicated of a message. It's actually not that nuanced. It's actually pretty straightforward in what, what Paul wants us to hear. And I think where our hearts ought to be drawn as well, because what Paul says is, this is my ambition. I want to know him. He says it in verse 8, there is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And in verse 10, I want to know him. That's my goal. That's my strong desire. That's what I'm determined to have happen. I want to know him. A lot of the terminology in the passage of Philippians 3, if you were just reading it for the first time in the original language, you would, it, you would recognize lots of words that were used much more in an accounting context, in a financial context. So Paul is grabbing words like, this is what I, I counted as valuable. This is what was worth something to me. This is what it would be gain or profit. This is what would be loss. And if anywhere in the country knows something about like financial institutions and banks, it's northern Delaware. We understand what, what Paul is talking about when he looks at it and does an estimation and says, you know what matters to me the most? The most valuable thing? What, what hasn't lost its value? What could never lose its value is knowing Jesus. And when he talks about that, we have to know this is so much more than just an intellectual knowledge of a certain set of facts. I think every week at Ogletown, we're blessed to have people that are pretty new to Christianity, new to exploring what, what, this, what this faith is that is centered around Jesus Christ. But I think it's so important that what mattered to Paul was not a greater knowledge of a bunch of facts. Because Christianity isn't just like a worldview. It's not just about a, a set of things that you kind of go, ah, I agree with, that's, that's a good way of seeing the world. Christianity is wrapped around a person, and that's exactly what Paul says. I want to know, not just about him, but I want to know him. I want to know him relationally. I want to know him experientially. I, I want to know him in a very personal way. When, when you think of knowing him and, and even Paul saying, I want to know him, what kind of a first response would be, well, my goodness, Paul, if anybody were to know him, you would know him. I mean, he revealed himself to you on the Damascus road. You heard his voice. What does this mean? I mean, you, you say you want to know him. Don't you already know him? And the best analogy or comparison I could think of would be uh, the relationship that is, that is marriage. Because the fact is, there's, there's a sense in which you're, you never can be more married than, than married. So you could even renew your vows, and that could be very meaningful to you. But, but even if I were to re- renew my vows in a chapel or in, in a church and walk out, it's not as if I walk out a little more married than I was when I walked in. Because it's just you, you either are or you're not. However, you can grow closer in a marriage you can grow closer in knowledge of a spouse. Or you can drift away. You can, over time, find yourself saying, I don't even really know this person that I'm married to. Or you can, over time, find yourself saying, I, I thought I knew you and I thought I loved you then. But, but now I know you so much deeper. 
I think for Paul, that analogy helps us get a window into what he's saying. You can never be more in Christ than if you're in Christ. So if that's a settled fact, if if you are in Christ, you're, you're in him. But you can experience a deeper relationship with the Lord. And that's Paul's desire. He says, I want to know Jesus. But it's so interesting to me that when Paul is like laying out his ambition to the church in Philippi and by extension to us, he doesn't speak of Jesus without immediately tying it to the gospel. So when he says he wants to know Jesus, actually, he he doesn't just stop there. He says, I want to know Jesus, but I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. So when Paul thinks of knowing Jesus, he's not going to do a detour around the cross or around the resurrection. In knowing Jesus, as we get closer to the cross, as we get closer to the resurrection, as we understand more what that is all about, we begin to know Jesus Christ in a deeper way. That's where Paul would say, I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. And if I'm conformed to anything, I want to be conformed to him in his death. It's almost like he pulls the language of Philippians 2 where Jesus Christ didn't think equality with God was a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. Paul says, I want to know him like that. I want to know him. I did not know water was there. I want to know him in that way. If we're going to get to know who Jesus is, we're going to have to get to know him through the cross, through the resurrection. So it is no accident that each week when we gather here, we sing about Christ being crucified. We we sing about Jesus' blood being shed. We sing about forgiveness. We sing about amazing grace that was demonstrated on the cross. We sing about the work of Christ in rising rising from the dead. We don't detour that because if we're going to know Jesus, we're going to know him through the gospel. And Paul says, knowing him is worth anything. It's worth any self-denial. It's worth any difficulty, any challenges. It would be worth enduring the loss of not just things that didn't matter, but lots of things that did matter. Paul said, I can look back at what I've lost and I don't look back to bitterness with bitterness going, man, I really gave up a lot. All that is like nothing to me. He would give up what a previous pre-Jesus life looked like, which for Paul meant lots of influence, lots of power, lots of recognition, lots of people thinking he was a pretty religious person. He said, I would give all that up because I want to know Jesus. And so I feel like the Lord's been pressing on my heart a question. And the question is like, is that your ambition, Curtis? And so I just want to ask you that. Is, is that your ambition? Would you be able to say like Paul, that if we took an honest assessment of our life and our actions, our thoughts and our daydreams, our pursuits and our priorities, if we were to take an honest assessment, would there be evidence that says, absolutely, My ambition is to know the Lord. 
The challenge is there's always competitors and obstacles to knowing Jesus. And sometimes our lives get so cluttered with other pursuits. Sometimes there's a million things we want. And what the million things we want does, it drowns out this being the priority. Certainly there's sometimes that we pursue and we have an ambition toward destructive things, things that will actually wreck our lives. But often, often we pursue things that are good, things that are culturally acceptable, maybe even encouraged. But at some point in time, do we not have to look at our lives and go, that may even be a good thing, but this is going to have to be diminished if I'm going to know Christ better. This hobby, this habit, this interest, this pursuit, it may have to decrease in my life if knowing Jesus Christ is going to mean something to me. We may have to do a cost-benefit analysis, and what we're going to do is have to factor in eternity and heaven and what really, really matters. And we say, if that matters, then actually the cost and benefit, I think, knowing Jesus is infinitely more valuable to us. So what mattered to you in 2018? What did you put in the gain column, the profit column? What did you say, that's a success? That was an achievement. What did you say? That was a heartbreak. Is it, how how does this issue of knowing Jesus, how does that fit in to your assessment of where you are in life? Is that your pursuit? Is that what defined you? Sometimes even we're just living day to day. We're trying to survive. We've experienced some hurt or pain. And in the midst of like trying to cope and deal with all the hurt and pain, what we find ourselves is knowing Jesus is one of the last things we think about. We're so self-absorbed, we find little time to think about him. Humans, it's interesting, even though, even non-Christian sociologists, social scientists, would tell you that humans are wired for relationships. We're wired to have relationships and wired for some of those relationships to go really deep. Now, now, we can't have every relationship be deep, and we recognize that. So there's some, there's some friends and there's some family members where that relationship is going to go deeper with mutual trust and care and loyalty and sacrifice, and it's going to go really deep. And there's others that you go, you know, I, I'll be kind to that person, but we may never have a deep relationship. My fear, my fear is that we may take our relationship with Christ and put it in the category of, you know, that may just be something that's distant. While other people seem to have a great spiritual thing going on, a great relationship with Jesus, yeah, maybe that's just for them. But maybe mine's always going to be distant. And if that's you, or if that's kind of where you've drifted or where you've landed, I, just, I want to put a megaphone to Philippians 3.10 and say what Paul was hungering for is not a kind of close enough relationship with Jesus, but he's hungering, he has ambition for knowing Jesus more. If we're going to have that ambition, if we're going to grow in that ambition, it's not going to be like summoning all the willpower we can imagine. I do think our heart's going to have to be renewed and changed We're going to need God, our Father, to come open our eyes to see his love for us. And we're going to have to see with fresh eyes the 
work of Jesus for us on the cross. And we're going to have to have the Lord's help in comprehending the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, making us look more and more like Jesus. What we need, what we need is the gospel. And this can drive us. This can drive us. This can make us new. This can change lots of perspectives. And this can change our heart to say, you know what I want? I want Jesus. So if that were to be your ambition today, there's a question I want you to think about. What are, what are two or three things, practices, habits, pursuits that you could focus on? If it's not all, all about the destination, if some of it is about the direction and the decisions you make in that direction, what would, what would it look like for you to say, I don't just want to talk about knowing Jesus, but I want to have some habits and some new things in my life, some deeper pursuits where I'm going to invest this in pursuit of this relationship I want to go deeper. What time in the Word is necessary? What time in community is necessary? What practices of prayer have to happen for your heart to be encouraged in this direction? Paul says, I want to know Jesus. But I... I didn't want to just look at Philippians 3 in isolation because there's another place where Paul talks about his ambition. And I thought, actually, these two passages that Deb read a minute ago, Philippians 3 and Romans 15, they actually work really well in harmony. Because there's another ambition Paul has in, in Romans 15. And, and for Paul, it isn't just knowledge of Jesus would be self-contained. It actually overflows. And so Paul could say in Romans 15 and verse 14, I myself, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers. So Paul would say in some ways, I, I'm content. I'm happy. I'm, I'm satisfied that you yourselves are just full of goodness and filled with knowledge. And, and I'm satisfied that you're actually able to instruct each other. So what, what Paul's saying in Romans 15 is to the church in Rome, I am, I'm happy, I'm content that there is some spiritual health and vitality at the church so that it isn't just the pastors instructing every, every person. It isn't just the teachers that are instructing people, but all of you are able to pour into each other's lives. That's the mark of a healthy church where we can take God's word, not just the select group, but all of us are pouring in. And he says, I'm satisfied about that. But then when you skip down to verse 20, there's something that Paul is not yet satisfied about. Because in verse 20, he says, I have an ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. What Paul's ambition was is to preach the gospel to people, specifically to people who had not yet heard, to whole regions and areas of this world who had not yet heard. So Paul's able to say, I'm satisfied with where the church is, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. I cannot live with the fact that there are people in this world that do not yet know of Jesus. They have not yet heard of him. Paul seems to have like a, a fairly specific call to the Gentiles and his call particularly is different than it seems like the call of Peter and James and John and Titus and Timothy. His call particularly seems to be to be a pioneer to go in places where Christ has not been named, where there's no church, no, no followers of Jesus. And that is what is on his heart. And I'm so grateful that is still on the heart of so many 
today. I'm grateful for Ogletown and the people who that is on your heart. You have a desire for Christ to be named where, where they have not yet heard of Jesus Christ. And there are people that are pursuing with their lives, with their, the, the direction of their lives they're pursuing because they feel the same call that Paul has to go where the gospel is not yet, where, where, where the gospel is not yet heard. But, but I want to ask a question. Do you have the same ambition that was driving Paul? Is that at work in your life? And you say, well, Curtis, I don't feel called to take the gospel to unreached peoples around the world. I don't necessarily feel like the call of my life is to grab you know, plane tickets and passports and be a pioneer church planter. I don't think that's the call of my life. And I can accept that God might lead us in different directions. What, what I would tell you is that it still should be an ambition for all of us to preach or to proclaim the gospel. So while God may specifically direct some, and we pray that he does, in our congregation to go to where Christ has not been named, what he's actually commissioned all of us to do is make disciples of all nations. What he's told all of us is that we are witnesses of him. What he's told all of us is that we are ambassadors of his kingdom. We're a representation that the kingdom of God has arrived. That's what he said to all of us. Do we have that same ambition to make Christ known? Is the gospel good news enough to care about others hearing this? Does it matter to us that people in Newcastle County do not treasure Jesus? That the only time he comes up in their home, in their conversation, is in some sort of profane way? Or in some sort of careless way? Does that that even hit our radar? Does it matter to us? Do we care that Jesus' name would be honored and treasured? Do we look at the world around us and we know there are people that their lives would be so much different and so much better if their lives were in the hand of Jesus, if they had that security, but instead they're, they're drifting aimlessly and they're pursuing this and that and they're, they're, breaking, they're breaking other people's hearts and they're ruining their own lives. Does that, does that matter? Do we, do we know that people could, be, could experience the love of being cared for by a heavenly father? Does that matter to us? Do we look around and we see people whose lives would be so much better if they were in a community of followers of Jesus? Do do we care that people are finding their identity shaped by a thousand things, but not by Jesus? Is that what we want? Do we have an ambition for people to find their meaning in him? That person we go to school with, that person that we, we go to the gym with, that person that we have a great friendship with that family member that we've prayed for regularly? Do we care? Because what what the obstacle here is that over time, we just begin to care less and less. It matters to us less and less. Or we have fear of what people might think. We have a lack of confidence that Christ's message really would make a difference in their life. Despite the fact that Romans 1 says, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We can't just like force our will into caring that we, our lives would be used to preach the gospel. But when we know of our Father's love for the world, when we know that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, when we know the Spirit can give us words even when we're fearful, and the Spirit can go before us and convict and draw people to see the truth about Jesus, 
This could drive us. And then we, then we have a different set of questions like, well, then what would keep me from praying that the gospel would be preached through me? What would hinder me from going when Jesus says, I want you to go? What would keep me from asking the Lord for opportunities and courage to match those opportunities? Not, not to be overbearing, not to be a jerk, but to be a faithful witness to the Lord. What, what would keep me from investing in this maybe in a deeper way? Again, I would say, can we do inventory? Surely there are two to three things in our life, two or three practices or habits or prayers we need to pray, next steps we need to take that the Lord would direct us, that we would care, just like Paul says, my ambition is to preach the gospel. What if we said, that's my ambition as well? I have a a band of friends. I have family members. I have a community of neighbors. There's this pocket of people that God has placed on my heart. There are nations that have never heard, Lord, show me and direct me because this is my ambition. Just two simple things that were driving Paul. One is knowing Jesus, and another was preaching the good news of Jesus. I want that to drive our hearts this morning. Jesus gave us, as a church, he gave us not a million symbols, not a million rituals, but he did give us a couple. And it's interesting, both of them, baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of them are means of identifying ourselves with the Lord. And today we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. And as we prepare to to distribute that, I, I want us to prepare our hearts because I want all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and those who have declared their faith and their allegiance in Jesus to participate. But, but just know this, as we are acknowledging our trust in Jesus, what we're also saying with this is we want to know you. We want to know you. We want to know more of you. We, and we want, we want you to be known and loved by more people. That's our ambition. We identify ourselves with you, and we want you known by more and more people. In a moment, our deacons are going to come distribute the bread and the juice. And I, I, I would ask you to use this time as they're, as they're distributing to say, Lord, what is it that I need to give? What is it I need to do? How can I grow? What are you calling me to do for the cause of Christ?